Good evening. Tonight is Thursday night, October 8th, 2020. It's a great pleasure to welcome everyone here tonight, joining together to study in advance of the second Yom Tov of Sukkos, specifically to try to answer the question of how to put Simcha into Simcha's Torah this year. So let me start with a story. <clears throat> a man was walking down the road and he notices across the street an old man and he's pushing a large elephant down the street. The old man looked like he needed some help. So the man walked over to him. He said, Sir, could I help you? And the old man said, matter of fact, I could use some help. Could you please try to help me get this elephant down the road? So they're pushing, they're shoving, and finally they get the elephant down the road. They reached the man's house and the old man said, could I just ask you for just one more favor? Would you just help me get the elephant inside the door? I just need the elephant inside the door. So they're pushing and they're shoving and they finally get the elephant inside the door. The old man says to the other fellow, just one more thing. I need you to help me, please, to get the elephant up the steps. Up the steps? All right, they're pushing, they're shoving, they're sweating. And finally, finally, they get the elephant up the steps. The old man says, last favor, I promise. This is the last favor I'm going to ask for. Would you just help me get the elephant into the bathtub? All right, fine. So they're pushing, they're shoving. They finally get this big elephant into the bathtub. And when they finish, the man says to this old man, he says, tell me, I'm happy to help you, but why in the world... Do you need an elephant in your bathtub? See, the old man sighed to him and he told him the following story. He said, you see, I live with my son. Now, my son is young. He's ambitious. He's a go-getter. He's a man of the world. Me, I'm an old man. I sit at home all day. I read the newspaper. I try to stay up with the news. I try to stay current with the news. Every day in the evening, my son comes home. And I say to him, Hi, son. Did you hear what happened today? And before I can even finish, my son says, I know, Dad. I know. I know. I know, Dad. Every day. Same thing. Before I can even get the words out, he says, I know, Dad, I know, I know already. Tonight, my son's going to come home. He's going to climb the stairs. He's going to go into the bathroom to get washed up. And then he's going to bolt down the stairs and he's going to say, Dad, Dad, there's an elephant in the bathtub. And I'm going to say, I know, son. I know. Yeah, I know. So, I know, I've already said this before, I know, I know that I've already said this before, 
This Simchas Torah will be unlike any we have ever experienced. The key to making it our most meaningful, filled with Simcha, Simchas Torah, is to reorient how we understand it and how we embrace it. It will be different, but it has the potential to be amazingly deep and impactful in ways that we never may have imagined if we let it. <clears throat> I know, I know, I've said that before. I know. I said this already about Rosh Hashanah. I said it about Yom Kippur. I said it about Sukkot. I know. And now I'm saying it about Simchas Torah, which is this Saturday night and Sunday. So let's start with a story about myself, a personal story. Now, I don't know how well you know me. You may find this hard to believe. But when I was a teenager, I was quite studious. And I really enjoyed studying Talmud. That's what I like to do. One year, on Simchas Torah, I was at home in Memphis, where I grew up. And we attended services at yeshiva in Memphis. I actually attended a different yeshiva in Baltimore. But when I was home, it was during the vacation, the break, when I was home, sometimes we attended the davening at the yeshiva in Memphis. And it was Simchas Torah. And people are dancing, and they're singing, and they're celebrating, and I was part of it. And it was going on for a long time. And after a while, I got bored. I mean, how many times can you shuffle around a circle singing the same words? So I got bored. So I moved to the corner of the room. I sat down, I opened the Gemara, a volume of the Talmud, and I started to study Talmud. And I was very happy. The Rosh HaYeshiva, the head of that yeshiva, someone I knew my whole life, but he was not my teacher because I attended another place. But the Rosh HaYeshiva came over to me and he pulled the Gemara from my hands and he said to me, Tonight, we don't study. Tonight, Simchas Torah, we dance. That's just one example of the kind of trouble I used to get into when I was a teenager sometimes. Okay. Now, I thought about that story last year here at Adath on Simchas Torah. We were singing and dancing and celebrating. It was a beautiful, energetic evening at Adath. And there was a man sitting in his seat in the back row, 
And I walked over to say hello to him. And I saw that he was studying from a Chumash. He was studying Torah. He was studying the weekly Torah portion. And he said to me, I'm too old for all that excitement down there, but I can still celebrate Simchas Torah by studying Torah. And I was so proud of that man. I was so proud to be the rabbi of a shul that has a man like that in it. And though the two stories are not quite parallel, I much prefer my response last year to the response I received almost 50 years ago. So, how are we going to honor the Torah this year when dancing and singing loudly are, due to COVID, not safe activities? Let me begin with this question. On Simchas Torah, we celebrate the Torah. We complete our yearly study of the Torah in the weekly Torah reading every Shabbos and Yom Tov. We complete the book of Devarim, the end of the fifth book of the Torah, and we begin again at Bereshis, and we take this opportunity to celebrate what we have studied over the past year. But the question is, why now? Why on the last day of Sukkos? Technically, for us outside of Israel, it is the second day of the holiday of Shmini Ho'atzeres. Now, Shmini Ho'atzeres is a quasi-independent holiday tacked on to the end of Sukkos. So my question is, why do we celebrate the Torah now on, at the end of Sukkos and not, let's say, Shavuos? Shavuos in the spring commemorates receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai. That's the anniversary of receiving the Torah. Wouldn't it make more sense to celebrate the Torah on the anniversary of receiving it? Why pick what seems like an arbitrary date a few months later as the day of our celebrating the Torah? So the Dubna Magid answers with the following parable. There was a young couple that got married. They were very much in love. Six months later, the man comes to his in-laws and he says to them, I really love your daughter. I just want to thank you for what you did in raising her. And I'm just so grateful for the opportunity that I have to be married to your daughter. So his in-laws say to him, that's very nice to hear, but why are you telling it to us now? You've been married for six months. So the young man says to them, says, listen, when we got married, we were very much in love, but there was still a lot that we did not know about each other. Now that we have lived together for over six months, we have been with each other 
daily in all kinds of situations, now I'm even more in love with her than I was the, the day we got married. And that's why I wanted to tell you this. The Dubna Magid uses this metaphor to explain. On Shavuos, we receive the Torah from God. We said the words, Nasev and Nishma, we will do it and we will study it. And on Shavuos, every year we commemorate receiving the Torah by studying it. One of the practices that we have, <coughs> excuse me, one of the practices that we have is that we stay up all night studying Torah. We received a new gift. We want to appreciate it. We study it. On Simchas Torah, we finish studying it for this year. We finish the cycle of studying the Torah. Now we can really celebrate the beauty of what's in it. We can celebrate the meaning that it gives to our lives. We can celebrate how it nourishes us, how it sustains us. On Simchas Torah, we celebrate what it means to us. That's a different kind of celebration than simply having received it. So our celebration, even if we omit dancing and loud singing and being together in a crowd, our celebration must express and deepen our appreciation of the Torah in our lives, our connection to God's Torah. Our connection to God's Torah in our study and in our behavior. Yes, this year, Simchas Torah will be more cerebral. It will be more spiritual. It will be more inward. But maybe this year, without the distraction of the noise and the revelry and, at least in some places, the alcohol, it can be a different Simchas Torah with the opportunity to focus on the full depth of the experience, not just the party. Though our feet will not be dancing, our hearts should be dancing this year on Simchas Torah. Our souls will be dancing on Simchas Torah. Because the Torah is at the center of our lives. That's the reason that we celebrate. I want to share with you a story that captures the truth we need to reach on Simchas Torah and carry forward throughout the year. About 15 years ago, A group of us from Adath traveled together to Israel. It was an amazing, wonderful trip. We went all sorts of places, did all sorts of amazing things. And one of the things that we did is we visited an army base 
where we donated one of our Torah scrolls. We brought with us a Torah scroll that we had decided to donate to an army base in Israel. <coughs> and there was a celebration and a program of this gift that we were doing together with the soldiers and their commanders. It was an incredible, incredible experience. I spoke and Rabbi Yisrael Weiss, who at that time was the chief rabbi of the IDF, Rav HaRashi of Tzahal. And this took place at the Tzarifim army base. And he told the following story. This is where the story comes from. He told us many, many years ago, in the early 1900s, when Mayor Dizengoff was the mayor of Tel Aviv. That was at the very beginning of the modern history of Tel Aviv. Mayor Dizengoff was the mayor. He was Mayor Mayor Dizengoff. And it happened that once a Bedouin sheikh from the Negev, from the desert, came to visit him, came to visit Mayor Dizengoff. Now the custom was in those days among those individuals, the custom was that when a sheikh came to visit you, you would offer that he could take as a gift any single item from your home. Whatever you want. Choose whatever you want and you can take it. That was the custom. That was the practice. And Mayor Dizengoff made this offer to this sheikh who came to visit him. The sheikh went to one room. He picked something up. It was actually quite expensive. Dizengoff was nervous that he was going to select that one, but he put that down. He went to another room. He looked here. He looked there. and went from room to room, picking things up, looking at them to decide what he was going to take. He picked it up. He would put it back. Finally, the sheikh went into the kitchen. And Dizengoff became calm because what can you take from the kitchen? The sheikh saw the water faucet with water coming out. He'd never seen such a thing before. Bedouins, as you may know, spend much of their time, their life, finding sources of water and moving from place to place in order to have water. Uh, an object that water just comes out continually and the sheikh says, I'll take that. So, Dizengoff says, fine, that's the deal. They take it apart and the sheikh takes the faucet and he goes home back to his Bedouin village. The sheikh goes back to his Bedouin village and he gathers everyone around to show them the amazing object that he took from the Jews. And he tells them this object produces water our lives will be transformed. And with everyone watching, he showed them the faucet, he turned the knob, and nothing happened. Nothing came out. 
A little while later, this sheikh came back to Mayor Dizengoff and he was very angry. He said, you humiliated me in front of everyone. What happened to the water? Dizengoff said to him, did you really think that the faucet was the source of the water? The faucet is not magic. Let me show you how it works. The faucet is connected to a pipe and he takes him outside and he shows him outside how the pipe goes along the side of the, of the house and it goes down and there's a tank filled with water. You have to go to the source to get the water. For us, the source is Torah. Now, what Rabbi Weiss said in telling us this story, when we brought a Torah to this army base, to donate to this army base, he said to us, thank you for this gift of the source of water that you have brought to us. Because, listen to this, it's amazing. I never forgot it. Because there is no IDF without the Torah. Truly a magnificent statement. And please know, he said to us, that even when you go back home to Montreal, your warm heart is here with the IDF. And that remains true. And that is the source of water, the source of meaning for the IDF, the Torah. But that is also the meaning of Simchas Torah. When we end the cycle of studying the Torah and we begin again, we are connecting with our source. We are connecting with that which nourishes us, that which sustains us, that which keeps us alive and gives us meaning. That's why we connect with such joy and exuberance on Simchas Torah. We have found our water. That's what Simchas Torah means. The essence of Simchas Torah is beautifully expressed, if not intentionally, but beautifully expressed in these lines from the great poet T.S. Eliot. We shall not cease from exploration. And the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. So on Simchas Torah this year at Adath, we will gather in a large circle outdoors without dancing without loud singing. And we will focus on what is at the center of our circle. What is at the center of our lives? The Torah. And we will say those verses and prayers that express the centrality of Torah in our lives. Atta haresa ladas. 
you have shown us in order to know God. That you are God, there is nothing beside you. That's the goal of all Torah study and practice. To bring us to an awareness and an intimacy of God and God's oneness. And hopefully, we will engrave that moment in our hearts and fix that scene in our mind. Because ultimately, Simchas Torah is about what we take with us after the holiday is over. Let me explain that in the following way by quoting from Rabbi Yitzchak Mirsky. Rabbi Mirsky asks a more general question about this Yom Tov we're about to start tomorrow night, Shabbos and Sunday. This two-day Yom Tov outside of Israel is two days. In Israel, it's only on Shabbos, one day. What is this Yom Tov at the end of Sukkot? We call it Shmini Ho'atzeres. It's part of Sukkot. It's apart from Sukkot. What is it? So the Torah says, by Yom HaShmini, on the eighth day, meaning after the seven days of Sukkot, by Yom HaShmini on the eighth day, Atzeres Tiyeh Lachem. There should be for you a day of Atzeres. Now literally, Atzeres means a day of stopping, a day of remaining. Rashi, gives the following famous explanation. Rashi explains that after we finish Rosh Hashanah and we finish Yom Kippur and we finish Sukkos, Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God says to the Jewish people, His ma'at od. Stay with me a little bit longer. V'lashen And this is a, an expression of endearment, of cherishing of how much God loves us. It's like when children have come to visit their parents and they're about to leave. And the parent says to the child, It's painful to me that you are leaving. Stay one more day. I don't want you to leave. Please stay one more day. Kasha alai pridaskem. Your leaving me causes me pain, causes me to be upset and to be sad. Stay one more day. Rabbi Mirsky asked the following question. And if you've ever been in this actual situation, you may be able to relate to it. My children come to visit. It's time for them to go. I want them to stay one more day. Yes, that's understandable. But what does it help? Because the longer they stay, the harder it will be when they leave. And with this logic, I don't want you to leave, so stay one more day. So Okay, and say, 
another one more day and another one more day and you stay forever. Meaning, what is it, what's the point of staying one more day? What does that do? You'd just be staying over and over again. You never go back. You never leave. Rabbi Mirsky explains that we are translating the word incorrectly. This is not just the sentiment of a doting parent who will feel sad when the children leave. That's what I would feel. Maybe that's what you would feel. But that's not what God is expressing with this, with this holiday. The sense of joy and intimacy with God is the goal of this entire season, as we have discussed numerous times, leading up to Simchas Torah. And throughout this season, we have tools to help us. First the shofar, then the fasting on Yom Kippur, then the sukkah and lulav and esrog. And God watches us with pride as we come closer, as we choose to come closer to God, as we elevate ourselves, as we improve ourselves through introspection and through prayer and through joy to being enveloped by God's presence in the sukkah and being able to wave lulav and esrog in all directions indicating how God surrounds us. But then God starts to worry. What will happen to us after Sukkos when we return home? when we return to our regular mundane lives? What will become of all we have gained spiritually over the last number of weeks? We will not have the shofar to inspire us. We will not have fasting to motivate us. We will not have the sukkah or lulav and esrog to remind us of how close we can always be to God. And so God says, Kasha alai pridaschem. Kasha does not mean it's painful to me that you're going to leave. It is not a sentimental statement on God's part. Kasha means I'm worried. It worries me, God says. It worries me that you're going to leave. How will you take this spiritual high with you into the rest of your year so that it remains, so that it does not dissipate. And that's why God says, His akfu alai, stay with me one more day and celebrate Simchas Torah. Celebrate the one tool the one vehicle to spiritual growth, the one medium of connection to God that is available all year at every moment and in every place. Celebrate the Torah. Celebrate learning Torah. Celebrate observing Torah. Celebrate finding the pride and confidence that Torah is our source of identity, our source of values and character, and our connection to God who wrote it and gives it to us. 
Simchas Torah is the last day of the high holiday season, so we can take all we have learned and experienced and grown over the past month and retain it. Take it with us throughout the year and not lose it. That's the purpose and goal of Simchas Torah, and that's the purpose and goal of this last Yom Tov that we call Shmini Ho'atzeres, to gather this particular tool and vehicle that we can take forward for the rest of the year. And this year especially, that should be the inner content of Simchas Torah. Whether we are in a minion, whether we're at home, but to take the opportunity to internalize this message, to commit and appreciate to what is the source of our lives, the Torah, to think to ourselves of how this coming year will be lived accompanied by our connection to the Torah. This Simchas Torah will be quieter. The services will be shorter, less exuberant, but hopefully no less impactful, no less durable in how we leave this year's high holidays for the rest of the year. The Zohar is the primary text of Kabbalah of Jewish mysticism. The Zohar says that the name we call ourselves, Yisrael, Israel, Yisrael, the Hebrew word Yisrael forms an acronym. And the acronym is Yesh Shishim Ribu Osios Latorah which translated means there are 600,000 letters in the Torah. So the first problem with this statement is that the math doesn't work out. It's not true that there are 600,000 letters in the Torah. The Torah, the Chumash, the five books of Moshe, actually have 304,805 letters. It's not even close. All right, so there are a number of answers to this discrepancy. Rabbi Yoshua Falk suggests that the Torah together with its translation adds up to 600,000 words. All right? 600,000 letters, I'm sorry. All right. There are others who suggest a different approach. It's quite ingenious. And that is, if you think about the Hebrew alphabet, a number of the letters are comprised of several letters put together. For example, the, the letter Aleph is actually a yud, a vav, and another yud. So that's actually counted as three. So if you count the letters in their composite parts, you come up with 600,000 letters. Okay. And there are other answers to that question. But leaving that aside, the deeper question is, so what? 
of what significance is it that there are 600,000 letters in the Torah? <clears throat> so I want to share this answer. Four times throughout the Torah, the Jewish people are counted. There's a census that is taken. But the method that is used, as you may remember, it's described in the parish of Kisisa, is highly unusual for a census. The logical way to do a census would be to ask the head of each household how many there are in the family and then add the sums to come up with a total. But the Torah's method is different. Each person takes a coin. It's actually a half shekel coin, silver coin, and passes in front of Moshe and Aharon and deposits the coin into a box. And then all the coins are counted. It's a strange method. Seems unwieldy, seems inefficient. But the Ramban explains that this method expresses a majestic concept. He says that when each person passed before Moshe and Aharon, the two greatest leaders of the people, there was a moment of contact with these two great men. And each person was known by name to them. And that momentary contact was a merit Thus, this was a way of counting that bestowed honor and greatness on each individual. This method demonstrated that each individual counts and has value in God's eye. Let me give you a modern representation of that. The previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson of blessed memory, had an unusual practice, which I'm sure you know about, every Sunday morning for many years. He would stand while large numbers of people would wait in line. And they would pass before him and he would give each one of them a dollar bill. Now, his intention was that each one would take the dollar bill and give it to tzedakah, give it to charity. Although most people ended up keeping the Rebbe dollar and donating another dollar bill to tzedakah. Okay. But a woman once asked Rabbi Schneerson, why do you devote so much time to this unusual task. And he said, I love to count diamonds. That's what this method of counting achieves. But Rabbi Falk explains a deeper meaning to this method of counting. The total number of Jews counted in the desert was approximately 600,000, roughly equal to the number of letters in the Torah. 
Now, let me just clarify that for one moment. Within the text of the Torah itself, the 600,000 number is the number of men between the ages of 20 and 60 who were eligible to comprise the army. But within rabbinic literature, and that includes the way Rabbi Falk is using this term, the, the term 600,000 is a shorthand, a metaphoric shorthand for the entirety of the Jewish people. Every man, woman, and child is included in this phrase 600,000. Perhaps not mathematically, but in the spiritual reality of this metaphor, it refers to every single Jewish person. So Rabbi Falk explains that this teaching that there are 600,000 letters in the Torah comes to teach us that the soul of every Jew has a connection to a single letter in the Torah. The reason that they were counted one by one is that in this counting was the ceremony whereby every Jew became connected to his or her letter. The ceremony of the counting created that connection. This is your letter. This unique census created this intrinsic bond between every single member of the Jewish people and the Torah. And just like a Torah scroll, where if even a single letter is missing, the entire scroll is invalid, so too the Jewish people is incomplete when the voice of any single Jew is silent. Every mitzvah that I do, every word of Torah that I study is part of the tapestry of Klal Yisrael, the Jewish people. But it's not just a part of that tapestry. It is a necessary, unique, and irreplaceable part of that tapestry. If I don't do a mitzvah that I could have done, it cannot be made up by someone else. If my letter, the letter to which I am connected, is not there, or it's incomplete, or it's faded, or it's blurred, the entire Torah is incomplete. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel wrote, The, wor the world is a gate, not a wall. This high holiday season that we are about to conclude has been historic, challenging, surreal, and hopefully for some of us, the deepest spiritual experience of our lives. As it draws to a close, 
we find ourselves at a crossroads. We have to ask ourselves a question about this high holiday season. Is it a wall or is it a gate? Is it a wall, a conclusion to our Jewish year? Have we finished our Jewish activity until next year? Or is it a gate? Is it a beginning from which to grow and deepen our Jewish roots this year? Notwithstanding the COVID restrictions in place to protect our health, there are myriad ways to do so. There are more Jewish learning opportunities today than ever before. I notice, and I thank you for this, I notice, like many of my colleagues, more people attend our Zoom classes than used to come in person. And we have more opportunities. It gives me tremendous gratification. It is a privilege for me to be able to teach every morning for a few minutes and to teach for a longer amount of time on Thursday nights together with you. And we are planning for after this Sukkos many, many more such activities, learning programs, educational activities, cultural activities, all kinds of events that we are planning for the next weeks and months. The truth is, the impact is even leveraged when it comes to social media and sharing and posting. It becomes magnified. Now, obviously, it's our job to be creative and to earn your attention. And believe me, I don't take that for granted. But the opportunities have never been as accessible or as engaging. In the last few months, we have seen a burst of originality in Jewish programming remotely that exploits these new formats in order to enhance rather than to limit our experiences. And the opportunities have magnified for helping our fellow with just a phone call or a text or offering to bring someone groceries or even a smile as we pass someone at a distance. In a sense, incorporating Jewish meaning into our lives has never been easier or more accessible. Let me just give you one example of one final story. You know, we use a phrase, Torah's chesed, the Torah of kindness, the Torah of compassion. Chesed, kindness, requires Torah, requires study. It requires thought. It's not just intuitive. To do it properly, to do it sensitively. And the opportunities are everywhere. So, right now, many of our schools are closed. So this particular example may not apply for a while. 
but please pay attention to the genius of the insight and think about how you can use this type of thinking in your life. So here's the story. And I heard this story from Sivan Rahab Meir. It's a story about Rabbi Benaya Nebenzal, who unfortunately passed away recently due to COVID. He was an amazing man. He was a teacher. He was devoted to his students. He had deep concern for everyone that he met, always doing good deeds, a deep thinker. And here's one story about this remarkable man, Rabbi Nebenzal. His daughter was once about to leave with her school on the annual school trip. So she asked her father what clothes she should pack to take on the trip. Should she pack the school uniform or should she take her regular clothes? So her father said to her, what do you think most of your friends will be wearing? And she gave her answer. And then he said, if so, wear what you think most of them will not be wearing. So that if one of them wears something different, she will not feel alone and embarrassed. What a way of thinking. What a way of looking for ways to raise someone's spirit that don't take any energy at all. This Simchas Torah, find your letter. Connect with it. Permit it to resonate. Cause it to sing aloud even if you are not singing loudly on Simchas Torah. Because only you can connect with your letter. And only then will the Jewish people be complete. This is what Simchas Torah is really for. Let it be joyous in its own unique way. Let it be joyous this year. My friends, I want to wish you a great night, a fantastic Yom Tov, celebrating Shmini Ha'atzeres and Simchas Torah, not like we've celebrated before, differently, but with deep, deep joy. Thank you very much.